Welcome, I'm Cyrus Afshar, and this is the Wiggles Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection. In this podcast, we will discuss some of the most pressing issues related to the linkages between the informal economy and social protection, including debates around workers' health provision, pension schemes for older workers, as well as childcare systems and other social protection policies for informal workers in order to improve their livelihoods. Wigo has launched a new phase of its podcast. In this season, we will examine the pieces of the social protection system in order to better understand the challenges, opportunities and difficulties faced by informal workers, always taking a bottom-up approach highlighting the workers' perspective. In the next episodes, we will investigate the different parts of the social protection system and look at it as a solar system in which, at the center, we have policy, legislation, governance, financing, then further out, program design, eligibility, and related issues, and finally revolving around the second orbit, implementation issues such as registration, delivery of benefits, and so on. We will give special attention to the issue of digitalization, looking at how technology is being used to improve the inclusion of informal workers across the different elements of the social protection solar system, but also we will discuss the risks and challenges involved. And we start the new year with the first episode of the second building block of our new season, in which we will discuss the issue of registration. How is digital technology helping to include informed workers into social protection schemes, or how is it creating new barriers for these people to access social protection? What are the risks and opportunities? What is the role of informal workers' organizations in building more inclusive registration systems? These are some of the questions we will try to answer by looking at some cases of programs and policies countries are implementing to expand their social protection systems to include informal workers. We start this new block with the case of the Social Relief of Distress Grant in South Africa. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit the country, the government expanded the SRD to reduce the impact of income loss, targeting a much broader population than the ordinary social assistance programs were covering. The second new aspect of this policy was that it heavily relied on digital means to register new beneficiaries, to understand how the implementation of SRD was rolled out, how digital forms of registration contributed or hindered access of informal workers. We talked to Huda Feiker. Huda holds a law degree from the University of the Western Cape and she is the National Advocacy Manager for the veteran human rights organization Black Sash, which advocates for the rights to social protection in South Africa. And now, let's hear talk to Huda Faker. Huda Faker, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting Black Session, giving us the opportunity to share our work. So Huda, just before we start, can you tell us a little bit about Black Sash? Sure. Black Sash is a veteran human rights organization where we advance uh, socioeconomic rights, focusing particularly on comprehensive social security with emphasis on women and children. 
and we're looking specifically on the social protection floor and access to social grants currently in our strategic plan for now. Excellent. So let's dive right into it. Can you tell us a little bit more about the South African Social Relief of Distress Grant? What it is, what is the story about it? What is the current situation now? And how does it relate to workers in the informal economy? Sure. So, I mean, we must recognize that a lot changed with the advent of COVID-19. And in South Africa, it also changed the field of social assistance. And the reason why I say this, because it was recognized that with the pandemic, it recognized that there was a challenge with hunger. And so our president introduced a social relief of distress grant. And what this means is that the social relief of the stress grant was a temporary grant that was offered to those who are unemployed in South Africa. Um, South Africa is known for having quite an advanced social assistance framework. And this framework caters to the elderly and it caters to children and it caters to disabled. But there's a big gap in what we call the missing middle, which is your 18 to 59-year-olds who are unemployed. And even the International Covenant of Economic, Social and Cultural Rights recognized that this is a gap and the committee wanted to make a recommendation that government needs to address this challenge. So with the pandemic, it became an acknowledgement by our government that the unemployed would really be very vulnerable during this period with a serious lockdown, with the inability to move and social distancing. So a special relief of the space grant was introduced at an amount of 350 rand, which was initially for six months and would only be paid to individuals who were unemployed and did not receive any other form of social grant or payment in any way. So the 350 grant as commonly known was initially only introduced for six months and it was only for unemployed where you received no other income. So it was zero rated. You, you really had to not receive any other income to be able to receive this grant. And government verified the eligibility of whether you qualify for the grant or not by using online methods through a government database system. Now, your government databases are not up to date and in real time. So what this meant was that you would apply for the grant and you would get excluded because your name comes up on a database that you are receiving an unemployment insurance and they would assume that, that this is correct and, and exclude you. But what it failed to acknowledge was that these databases were not necessarily updated. So applicants may have received this grant a while back or this insurance and were no longer receiving it. There were also challenges with students who received subsidies from government, but they were still on this database, even though they were no longer students and were unemployed. So those were initially already challenges, but through interventions by civil society, especially when the grant came to an end, Blacksash was one of the key organizations together with our civil society partners 
Office that advocated for the extension of the social relief of distress grant and also for it to be improved in terms of how you applied for the grant and also the eligibility criteria, the administrative challenges that were experienced and as well for the amount of the grant because it was much less than 350 was very little to be able to survive. So through our intervention, some amendments were made where those eligible to receive the grant was not only uh, for the unemployed, but was also extended to caregivers who received the child support grant on behalf of their children. The duration of the grant had been extended on an ad hoc basis, and it's actually now been extended until March 2025. And initially, from April 2020, it was only for six months. So we've made quite significant inroads asking for the extension, but more so, we actually want the grant to become permanent. And also, the means test has been extended so that it's not zero rated and you have to earn below 624 rand to qualify for the grant. While the criteria is broadened a little bit, it is better than you know, having to receive no income because what government does through this verification process, they also check your bank account. So initially, if you have any money, any income in your bank account, you would be automatically excluded. Initially, if there was 10 rand in your bank account, you would be excluded when it was zero rated. And now with the increase to 624 rand, if there's any more than that amount in your account, you will then be denied and your application will be rejected. And this is problematic because you're receiving money in your account that might not be for you. And so you are not given that opportunity to explain through an appeal process because, again, the appeal process is also online and you're not allowed to mitigate through submitting additional information. So while we appreciate that the grant has been extended, it has been limited in terms of reaching everyone that it's supposed to reach because of its limited application through exclusive online system. It is definition of who qualifies is quite narrow and there are quite a few administration challenges. So moving on, Digital registration mechanisms were used in the first rounds of application grants in particular. Can you tell us what options were available? How did these options work and what were some of the challenges encountered? So what was very different about the social relief of the stress grant was that it was an exclusive online platform. And so what this meant is that you had to apply for this grant online. And you could do this via WhatsApp channel, via the SASA website, or through a USSD platform. But even these platforms were problematic. And what it also meant was that it assumed that people would need to apply would have access to be able to do this. First of all, you needed to have digital literacy. You needed to have the tools such as a smartphone and you needed to be able to communicate in English. And also you needed to have interconnectivity and data. So those were serious assumptions that were being made 
to apply for the social relief of this test grant. And the irony of this is that it was for the most vulnerable who were struggling to survive from day to day, experiencing the challenge of hunger, not being able to find a job. Already in South Africa, you had a challenge with poverty, unemployment and inequality, which was exacerbated with the pandemic. And so what this meant is that the exclusive electronic platform excluded people by default. So even though you qualified in terms of being unemployed, you wouldn't necessarily be able to apply for this grant because you didn't have access to be able to do so online and also of the fact that it was only in English when we have 12 official languages in South Africa. So because of the electronic platform, it is exclusionary by default because it limits access because of the reasons I said in terms of just making assumptions that people are digitally literate, they are comfortable with English as a language to communicate in, that they have smartphones, they have access to the internet, and also that they can afford to buy data. So while we acknowledge that an online platform does have the widest reach in the quickest time during COVID, and that is government's mitigation why they have this online platform. It also is that they say that there are budgetary constraints because they don't have the funds to be able to also have additional human capacity to be able to consider the application process. And it's quite frustrating because, you know, there was no consultation about what works for the people that it's needed, no community engagement or needs assessment to what must be done. Especially in South Africa, there is a disparity between urban and rural areas with access to digitization. The number of people in urban areas are close to double the amount that use the internet as compared to those in rural areas. And also those in urban areas have more smartphones than in rural areas. So although this might seem on the face of it a positive increase of the use of smartphones, it is stated that access to tools such as interconnectivity and digital literacy is not something that we can assume. It is important that the South African government includes a plan for developing technological infrastructure in poor and rural communities especially. And Black Sash has been pushing and advocating that we need to have a balance between face-to-face -face and digital options because it's necessary to deliver its constitutional mandate of social security to the poorest of the community, which is usually in your rural areas where the national payment system and infrastructure is extremely limited. And this also is crucially important because the application system is for this social relief of the stress grant is exclusively online. They do have an appeal process. So if your application is rejected, you may apply to have it appealed. However, the appeal process is flawed because it does not allow you to mitigate reasons why you are appealing the process. It uses the same verification of government databases, so you're not able to justify that the databases that they are using are inaccurate or not updated. And so it becomes a moot point because you're sitting in the same position that you were when your application was 
denied or rejected in the first place. And so while we do appreciate the shift to digitization and we, we're going to be left behind if we're going to resist that shift to digitization, but it cannot be done without a responsibility on the part of government to put measures in place to make sure that that transition is made in a way that those who have limited access are included in the shift and acknowledgement of the fact that there's a role where there must be education, there must be information and capacity building, and also that there needs to be provision made of the tools through providing smartphones as well as internet, and also just making sure that there's interconnectivity. Oh, those are major barriers. So considering that Black Sash is an activist civil society organization, what can you tell us about the role civil society and workers' organizations had in helping to overcome these challenges? We advocate for state accountability. And so in order to do that, we need to make sure that government fulfills its mandate to provide social assistance and to protect the vulnerable. So when you're looking at civil society and worker organizations, when you're looking at comprehensive social security, there is a need to protect the rights of the most vulnerable. And so what is important for Black Sash as an organization is to work together with other civil society organizations as well as unions and organizations that have workers' interests at heart, especially vulnerable workers such as informal traders and domestic workers and farm workers, work together to, first of all, build capacity where the most vulnerable are informed and know what their rights are. And this is done in collaboration with organizations as a collective to make sure that people know that they have rights. And this is done through workshops, through information, through media to know what your rights are. But then once you know what your rights are, it is then important to advocate for those rights. And you do that through different advocacy tools, uh, communication and media is very important, as well also engaging with government, making use of the platforms to engage with government through consultation process, committees, etc. whatever platform there is available. And so through this, you then would assist organizations to be able to overcome their challenge. But I mean, it's not an easy process. Government needs to be held to account. And so while we do meet with government and lobby government, if those remedies are exhausted, we then need to litigate, to advocate for the right to these protections and, and assistance. And so Black Sash has been very strong in either litigation or supporting litigation of parties to make sure that rights are effected. And I think as a result of working in solidarity with organizations, we've actually challenged government in terms of the legal frameworks that exist, the regulations and the mechanisms that they use in terms of implementing the social relief of distress grant has actually made significant changes, like I pointed out before, in terms of who is eligible, the criteria 
of that is use the means test, but there's still a lot to be done. 350 rand is not enough to survive. So Black Sash uh, convenes a coalition as well, where we have uh, civil society partners and workers organizations that are members of this coalition, which we call the Universal Basic Income Coalition. There's also a budget justice coalition that we collaborate on so that we engage with what are the issues that beneficiaries of this grant struggle with and what are the challenges and we we partner with worker organizations especially such as farm workers organizations and highlight their plight here the lived realities of what they're experiencing the limited protections that they have as workers the fact that they don't have protections in terms of unemployment insurance and also when they do have those protections there are limitations with implementation uh, what we try and do is we highlight that different civil society organizations have different strength and expertise. And so we would partner with those organizations to highlight the intersections of advancing social security and making sure that government is put under pressure to fulfill its mandate. Mm. So you said that there were these online requirements yeah. for registration. Had the government offered any kind of offline forms of registration to overcome this or it, it remains 100% digital? It remains 100% digital. One of the key asks that civil society has made is to request a hybrid system where it can be online and able to attend the, the offices of the implementation agency called the South African Social Security Agency. However, their response was that they have limited budgets and they have financial constraints to be able to ensure that there's additional human capacity to respond to a manual system of applying for the social relief of distress grant. Uh, so to wrap up, having reflected on the South African experience, could you comment on how you view the digitalization of registration mechanisms more generally? Uh, what are the key things that uh, we need to be thinking about into the future and what worries you and what excites you about these developments? I think it's important to recognize that digitization can be an advantage and whether we like it or not, that is where the world is shifting. It's easier access and it's cost effective. So that is your key advantages. But the follow-up question when you're working with the most vulnerable is advantageous to whom? So for government, it's definitely a benefit. It will cost them less to be able to have digital platforms. And it can be advantageous for those needing the service because they don't have to stand in long queues. They don't necessarily have to travel and spend money for transport. And if it's not in the immediate vicinity, then the cost is, can be quite expensive. And also there may be the implications of cost to access it. So for example, bank charges, et cetera. And so if you are doing it digitally, then that is definitely going to be more cost effective. However, those advantages are based on the premise that you have access to tools such as data, smartphones, and interconnectivity. 
and also that you're digitally literate. But besides the digital literacy, the key communication method in terms of this online language is crucial because with the social relief of the stress grant, it is only accessible in the English language. And it really is making an assumption that people can read and that people can read English. So for that reason, that is definitely a big impediment to digitization for a service that is for your most vulnerable. Another key concern is the protection of the personal information. How is it going to be managed? Because we've had an experience in South Africa where a private entity was a partner to government and assisting with the administration of social grants. But when they had access to the information of these social grant beneficiaries, they then used the information to be able to sell of their own products through their subsidiaries to these beneficiaries. And for a beneficiary who is vulnerable, who doesn't speak English necessarily as a first language, their literacy may be a challenge. It becomes very difficult to identify what is considered an informed consent in an environment where the service impacts you on you being able to survive. And so I can illustrate that when you're looking at informed consent, before you proceed with these digital platforms, you would then have, for example, do you agree that government can use the information? There's also an optional questionnaire, which, which is quite personal and which Black Sash has objected to the use of this questionnaire. And government response has been that it's for research purposes and that it's, there's no obligation, it's optional. But for someone that is applying for money to be able to survive, for assistance from government, they are concerned that if they don't fill it in, it will impact on the success of their application. So they complete this, not actually understanding or even concerned about what the, the ramifications of sharing this information is. So the protection of personal information is a key factor. And so I think it's important that although the pace of digital transformation was initially introduced so that people could have quicker access against the background of lockdown and limited movement and social distancing during COVID. That need has become less at the moment. And so the introduction initially of an exclusive digital platform may have been able to be rational in, in the context of, of lockdown, but I think the challenges are more so in terms of excluding those that really need it. And, and so for that reason, it, it's definitely a concern that we worry about in terms of the future. And so the government needs to make sure that the foundation for any shift to digitization is put in place through addressing the challenges to access digital platforms. And so the question of free data and government's role in providing that free data becomes an important consideration. 
Excellent. Huda Faker, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share our work and we look forward to engaging further. And if you want to hear more about the SRD implementation in South Africa, we will leave some links at the description of the episode. And please follow Wigo's social media channels, Twitter and Facebook to get the Wigo's new research publication on social protection for informed workers. And don't forget to subscribe to our show on Spotify, Deezer, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss our new season of the Social Protection Solar System. I am Sirius Afshar and this was the Wigos Informoikan Podcast Social Protection. See you next time.